Every day we ask so many questions. What should I wear? What's the weather going to be like? How am I going to fit everything in? But then there are those bigger questions, like why am I here? Where am I heading? Is there more to life than this? I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. At 28, had gotten many of the things that I thought I wanted. Uh, my girlfriend was on the cover of magazines, I had a Beamer, and I was so unhappy. It was a realization maybe that I would, I would never find happiness where I was looking for it. I think for so many years, you know, I always just strived to be strong in myself. All I needed was me and my buddies and, you know, would be like invincible. But the truth is, none of us are. And I found purpose, I found meaning, I found hope. God took something so broken and made it a beautiful art piece. Alpha is a place where you can be yourself. You can say what you think and challenge everything. No question is too complex or too simple. And what your point of view is, is as important as anyone else's. We are going on a journey together, an adventure to explore the questions of life, faith, and meaning. There's a uh, little bit of a snippet of the Alpha course. So uh, yeah, like I said, if you want to uh, join with us on the Sunday nights, we're going to be exploring some of those topics. Um, but tonight we're going to be uh, chatting with Mark and just hearing a little bit of uh, Mark's story. Um, hey, I'm going to chat to Mark for a little bit. So Kirsty's up on Zoom. We're going to come to Kirsty in a moment. So just to save Kirsty's uh, being there for 20 minutes uh, on the screen, I'm just saving her. Um, I don't know, Kirsty, if you... Or, or Alec, or whoever's running the... Oh, okay. G'day, Kirsty. Great to have you here with us. Hello. The Zoom's working. We were going to come back to you in about uh, 15 or 20 minutes. So um, if, you, if you don't want to sit there on the screen, um, then you're welcome to just come back in 15 or 20 minutes. But uh, we'll see what the uh, tech team do there. Um, but Mark, great to have you uh, here with us as well. And thanks so much for just coming and sharing with us. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing now? Maybe that's a great place to start.
Tell us about, uh, you know, growing up for you and where you were born in some of those early years. What was that like? Yeah, um, I grew up in St Mary's, which is down western Sydney, near Mount Druitt and Penrith. Um, yeah, and growing up was pretty tough. Probably was. But, um, yeah, like, I had a lot of, um, a lot of trouble, you know, family life and all that while I was younger. There was, um, yeah, a lot of, can you put it like, um, abuse, like neglect and, yeah, a lot of, yeah, just not good things growing up. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. It's, it's really, your story's quite um, full on, even from the very beginning. Um, tell us about those early years. Yeah, um, probably the earliest when I was probably around three or four, my, my parents got divorced. I still remember that pretty clearly, even though I was young. Um, then um, my mother took up with another boyfriend and we moved into the house with him, which was in, in um, Mount Jordan as well, in Tregear. Um, and he turned out to be not a very nice person. And we um, yeah, went through a lot, being there for whatever it was, two, two three years. How old are you? In, you yeah, your mum has this boyfriend, you were around three years old, is that right? Um, when you say you went through a lot, I don't know if you can describe a little bit of what that was like. Yeah, um, like there was times when, like he was, he was very controlling, really like violent, like he would always be like belting us and doing things like that. There was um, times when it was kind of like being hostage, I guess. He um, would lock us in the bedroom, make sure we stay in there. We'd be in there for like three or four days. You could get out and go to the toilet, but if you got caught trying to get even a sip of water out of that um, cistern thing, the, the taps and that, like you'd be right behind your cop it, so you wouldn't even be game. You'd just go to the toilet back in there. And there was um, times when he would, um, you know, like make us eat food that was like... I guess had mould in it, it was all furry, like remember eating furry carrots and veggies before all fur in that growing and you just have to eat it because, um, yeah, it's just how um, you just wouldn't, wouldn't be game not to eat it. And I guess there's been times that I've, um, I do remember that I was that hungry that I even ate paper. This is, um, so you're from three years old, obviously you can remember this pretty vividly. You're, do you have siblings as well? Yeah, I have um, an older sister, an older brother, and a younger brother. So they're all, they're all, this is all, you're all, you're all experiencing this as well as your mum, is that right? Yeah, they're all experiencing this together. And, um, yeah, and I guess, yeah. Yeah, a lot of, lot, her mental health declined and she turned to things herself. Yeah, okay. What's, how old are you, this is three, how long is this going on for, like how many years? Say two to three years for memory, so till I was probably around six, because I remember going to. Oh, we'll touch on that later, yeah. Oh, no, keep going, keep Yeah, I was going to so say, I remember um, going to school at Tricky, which is first grade and all that sort of stuff. And I remember one time in the playground, I was playing football, and I actually um, tackled someone, and his heel went into, knocked both my front teeth out. and... You know, the first thing that came to mind was just like, oh, he's going to kill me when I get home. That's the first thing I thought of because I was just that fearful of, you know, of how much violence we were taking and all that. This is your mother's boyfriend? Yeah, mother's the one boyfriend. we're living with, yeah. So what you, would you do? You're so terrified. Your two teeth are missing. What would you do? I just remember, like, freaking out, thinking, like, I didn't feel pain, to be honest. So, like, the first thing that went to my mind is just, like, I'm going to be in so much trouble. Like, he's going to kill me. That's just what I thought. So I didn't cry. And the teacher's like, didn't it hurt? But I just, like, was just more anxious and, and fearful than anything. This um, goes on for quite a few years. Um, 
how long you what, what I, but then you do move out of there tell us a little bit about that yeah so must have been after two or three years whatever that bring it to six or seven um one night we were there and I remember coming out like getting told to come out to the lounge room and which was very pretty much unheard of um and um, all our clothes, what we had, were in garbage bags. And your mum said that your, your father's coming down to pick you up from... He was up in Orange and we hadn't seen him. Like, all might have saw him a couple of times over the time we were there, like two or three times most for memory. Yeah. Sorry, keep going if you... Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's when um, my dad ended up coming down and picking us up and took us back to Orange to live with him for a month while um, my mother looked for another house for us to live in, like, around and found one at St Mary's. Your mum stays back, um, so you're moving back in with your dad. What was it like to move back in with your dad now? Yeah, it was it was good to like have like a protector around someone you know who um, you know he I guess could trust. Um, but you know, if I reflect back now, like none of us ever told him anything about what was what was going on. Like you know, you'd be too too scared to even say, "Oh, dad, like this is happening at that house. Like he's doing this, he's doing that." Because he just had that much fear in us that we. Wouldn't, wouldn't even tell him nothing about it, you know. Um, you're now back with your dad. Your mum's still away. How long did she stay back with the boyfriend? Yeah, I'm not too sure. We were gone for a month, but um, I know that she got another house in that time, so it would have been somewhere. I'll, like, I wasn't there, so I just know she must have got out sometime within that, that month period and got another house. Yeah. Do you move back in with your mum into that house this new house that she gets, is that right? Yep, that's correct. Um, she, um, it was a house at St Mary's, which was like in between two creeks on a, um, like, basically like a big, like, it was kind of like a farm, I guess you could say, like a farmhouse out in the middle of, like, yeah, sort of, you know, set back from the highway and all that and down dirt roads and that. And, yeah, so, yeah, we end up moving back into there with my mum after about a month. Yeah. So you're about, now what are you, seven years old, something like that, seven years old. You must have thought, okay, this is maybe a fresh start, is that right? Like, things are going to change? Yeah, that, that was the hope, and things were pretty good at the start, like probably a couple of months, six months maybe, for memory. And then um, my mother started, um, you know, obviously things were catching up with her mentally, and she started drinking and, you know, doing things herself, and she was always up the pub, so we were still in primary school at this stage, so I remember every afternoon, pretty much, you'd be at school, you'd be thinking, oh, will mum be there the salve? But then there were so many times that, you know, well, most of the time that you'd finish school and mum wouldn't be there to pick you up, so you'd just have to take yourself home, and they would all rock up at, like, from the pub at 10 or 11 at night when the pub closed, and there'd just be wild parties and bad things happening at the house. So you kind of live with it. So would you say that your mum really was an alcoholic? Yeah. Yeah, but like I can look back now and understand why because she you know, went through a lot, I guess, and probably for what we had to go through, she had to watch that too, which, you know, she was suffering too, but I guess yeah. it's going to get anyone in the end, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you're seven years old. You think it's going to be a fresh start, but then your mum's drinking. She's down at the pub. Um are you pretty much are you pretty much raising your, like is that what it looks like in the home like you're just raising yourself from seven years old yeah um like my older sister would like step up a bit like i mean for what she could do um but like say a lot of the time i remember just basically living off like vegemite sandwiches a lot sort of thing so yeah and just shower put yourself into bed if your mum's coming home at 10 11 night every night i suppose that's just did you ever you know because this started from such a young age. So did you sort of, 
was there moments where you're like, this isn't right, or where you just thought, this is normal, this is what? Yeah. I was just accepting of what was happening because that was my, my reality and I thought it was normal at the time. Yeah. Was there ever, was there ever a moment though where you thought, no, this, this isn't right or not really? Um, I would have, have a few moments and um, like I had a few um, like mates net that wouldn't come around our house because like I said, it was a bit isolated but there would be stories like, oh, don't go down Mark's house because his mum's crazy and drinks all the time and you know, they'd be too scared to come down, I think, so yeah. Moving on a little bit from here, um, so seven years old, you're trying to raise yourself, and um, what does it look like now moving into sort of your teenage years? Yeah, so at about nine, um, well, my mum had a couple of boyfriends during the time we were at this house, and when I was um, around nine, she had this one boyfriend that she broke up with, and so he sort of moved out, then she got another boyfriend, and I come home from school one day, like, yeah, walked home, mum went there, she was at the pub, so I just, yeah, walked myself home, and her ex-boyfriend was there, or, her, yeah, her ex, her new boyfriend was there, sorry, Dave, and he's, um, like, said, oh, where's your mum? And I said, I don't know, like, she's probably up the pub, so he said, can you go up and get her? So I um, trotted up there, and I said, oh, mum, Dave's here, he wants you to um, come down, wants you to come home, wants to know where you are. She said, oh, she was there with her ex-boyfriend, and she said, just tell him I'm having a drink with, with this fellow, her ex-boyfriend. So I um, went back and told, told him that, and he stormed off up the dirt road towards the pub. And um, what's happened after that, they've got into an altercation, and my mother got actually punched in the head, fell back, hit her head on the gutter, and ended up with a seminal hemorrhage and dying that night. Gosh, what was that like, finding out? Like... Um, it was... I remember, like, pretty vividly, because my father came down from Orange, like, picked us up in the middle of the night, and he... Um, like, he yeah, took us back and then he went to the hospital in the morning and he's come back and he's, like, said, oh, your mother's dead. And I remember my little brother was, like, didn't really have, have the concept of death. Like, he's sort of asking me, oh, when do we see her again? Like, when will we see her? And I'm like, you know, Matt, like, um, when someone's dead, you don't see them again. Like, and I was just trying to explain to him, you know, and, yeah, just sort of dealing with that. Must have been such a huge weight on your shoulders and just like everything you're trying to raise yourself you, you know you've got your brothers and your siblings and even from the early age going every going through everything you went through um so full on do, do you feel like looking back you know um yeah there was huge struggles for you and mentally and emotionally like it must have been huge um yeah i do do like look back on it but i, I just sort of pretty accepting of like that's what happened and that's just what was there so i just had to do what was there and you know it was like I guess, like, I did feel a lot of responsibility for my little brother because, like, yeah, sort of, I just... He used to kind of have to be my shadow sort of thing so he didn't really have much direction and, and you know, it was sort of... Mm. You know, I kind of felt like I always had to look, at, look out for him, basically, yeah. Um, this incident happens with your mum. Um, you're nine years old. Uh, so you were living with her. So what happens now? What's the, what's the go from there? Yeah, um, when my dad was came down, like he was down the next morning, picked us up in the morning, and um, when he came back and told us that, um, you know, he said, "Oh, your mum's dead, your mother died," and that's pretty much all he all he could say. And yeah, so um, then I remember the first thing I said, "Oh, so what's happening to us? Will we be going in a home now?" And he's like, "No, no, we'll work something out." So he took us on and raised us himself, the whole four of us, down stayed in that farmhouse for a while. And he, um, yeah, like, like he was a butcher, so he'd be gone early in the morning and get back, you know, in the afternoon, he'd like cook some dinner, do some washing and all that sort of stuff. But it was pretty much um, left to our own devices, but through no fault of his because he had to support us as well. 
So again, it's just like, look, I'm busy, I'm working, you just need to kind of raise yourselves. Yeah, you'd, you'd put in the effort, but like I guess, like I say, a lot of the time, like, like if I had kids, I probably wouldn't be letting them do the things we were getting up to, put it that way. Like, yeah. I wouldn't let my kids do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're now in, uh, moving into your teenage years. What's that like? Um, yeah, so um, started like probably around the age of 13, like got introduced to alcohol and drugs and a few other things like that. Um, so, yeah, I guess it was sort of, once I started that, it sort of gave me that inner peace because I had a, um, I guess I was carrying a lot of stress around, but, yeah, that just sort of escalated and I ended up um, in addiction, drinking alcohol, taking drugs, till I was around about 17, 18. Then um, that's when I moved up to Brisbane. I wanted to make a new start so I was sort of worried about where, where things were headed. I knew I'm, I was going to end up in prison if I didn't change my ways. Um, yep, so did that and, um, yeah, so... It's pretty much it. I just kept on drinking pretty much after that. And when I had, had a bad neck injury in my early 20s, I was on prescription medicine and painkiller or painkillers and that pretty bad. And um, I ended up on the methadone for 13 years after that, like, yeah, on methadone until I was 40. So I was on that from, must have been like 27 till the age of 40-ish. So pretty much alcohol, drugs. Um, you move up from New South Wales, I suppose, to try and get a fresh start, but it didn't really happen. You just got into the drinking and drugs. Um, you get into a methadone habit. Was there a time where you're like, "I've got to get, I've got to get off this"? Like, I just, this is just every day. Yeah, <laughs> that's how bad it is. It's like, yeah. I mean, it, it serves its purpose, but like, it's to try and stop by myself. Like, for what the amount I was on, just to come down a little bit. Like, you probably shouldn't even feel that, but mentally, it'd be just such a psychological battle, and then there'd be all the physicalness that'd come with it, and it was just like really, really hard. I had to get support to get off that. In the midst of this, I can't remember what age you were, but you meet Haley, and Haley's here tonight, and you've been with Haley ever since. But how old were you when you met Haley? Um, 19, turning 20. 19. And it, through this season of your life as well, you have two daughters. Yep, Kirsty and Carly, and Haley already had like a young, a young daughter, which is stepdaughter. Yep. So you're you're trying to battle this drug addiction. You're on methadone and uh, trying to uh, raise kids, and yeah, a very full on season. Um, you, you're wanting to get off it, and you decide, okay, I need to uh, get into a rehab. Is that right? Yeah, it's a, a lot of it. Like, I used to always think all the time, I don't want to be on this forever, but there's like a stigma that once you're on methadone, you're on it for life. Like, that's just how it goes. Um, I did hear once off one person that said, oh, you know, you, you can get off it. So I sort of had in my mind, like, you know, I need to get off this because it's not fair because we couldn't ever go on holidays. We couldn't do anything, go anywhere, unless we were, like, at a certain place at a certain time because I had to have my medicine. Yeah. You go to a rehab in New South Wales. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I went down to a um, place down in New South Wales, in Sydney. It's um, the only place where you could reduce off methadone. It was a three-month program. So while I was there for the three months, I went down, got off that, and left pretty much after I had my last little bit on the last day of the three months. When you came back, were you clean from that then? Like, is that... Um, no, because I was very sick getting off the methadone. I ended up drinking and all that sort of stuff, so... I sort of used that to help get some sleep and, you know, can't really justify it, it was wrong. But um, anyway, so I ended up with drinking habit again, so I ended up having to go back to the rehab up here in Brisbane, which is Munya, and I've, yeah, went there and done a 10-month program there. Um, that went pretty well. I got out um, 
like after the 10 months, probably about three months after that, I was sort of didn't really lost my direction a bit, I guess, and wasn't doing what I was meant to. Um, and I ended up back on uh, prescription medic medica medications and um, yeah, alcohol and that again after that. So I had to go back to Munia a second time. Yeah. Did you, because uh, the Munia is a Salvation Army uh, rehab, you never grew up, did you, with any sort of faith background mm. or? No, it was kind of taboo, like you wouldn't even mention anything about faith, even around my circles and all that sort of stuff, it was just taboo. And I think the only time I ever went in a church was for my sister's wedding when I was probably 25, I think. Mm. What did you think? Did you think, oh, you know, maybe there's a God out there or not really? A... Um, I don't know, I guess I didn't believe in God as such, but I don't know. To a degree, I guess I've kind of always had a little bit of spirit, like element of spirituality about me, like something. But like, yeah, just I had a few experiences that I couldn't really explain. But I never really believed in Jesus and the God concept and all that stuff. It was just like not happening. What was it like then going into Salvation Army, um, uh, you know, Munia, the rehab program? What was that like? Yeah. Um, the first time anyway, yeah. The first time I just thought they were feeding him out to brainwash me. They were just like, you know... <laughs> talking about the evil one and all this stuff and I just thought these guys are all crazy they're just trying to um, brainwash me and I just yeah, didn't want to touch it, wouldn't have a bar of it You said that you came out of the program first time but then you slipped back in um, to uh, dr drugs was it or alcohol yeah, a bit of both, yeah but then you knew I need, I need to get off this and it wasn't too long was it a couple of months and, you, and then you rang them back, is that right, moon you're back and said, look, I need to come back in. Um, tell us, though, about the experience now, this time, a second time going back in. Yeah, um, before I went back in, like, um, I went in with an open mind because I'd seen, like, the only people that had done well from the first time I was there were the ones that actually took to God or already had faith. So I just thought, well, you know, I can't keep doing this for the rest of my life. You know, I'm, you know, my family's losing out, everyone's losing out, hurting everyone. So I um, went in with an open mind and... Yeah, just that's when things started happening. <laughs> um, what was I think you uh, actually we mentioned Alpha, and I think you started an Alpha program in there. Um, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I started. A, I think it was an eight-week Alpha program, just one day a week, and um, yeah, just sort of the first time I ever really learnt anything about the Bible or the story of Jesus and all that. And you know, I was thinking, well, this this is making sense, kind of thing, a bit, and. Um, Towards the end of it, or the very last session of it, we ended up um, like getting ministered on. They all ministered on me, and um, yeah, I sort of just received the Holy Spirit that day, and it was like, yeah, I can put it down to like supernatural. But as I say, like it left in my mind 100% um, like no doubt that that you know God was real. Like I do remember before that, like when I was starting to get glimpses, I was asking. Um, you know, some of the people, the caseworkers, and I'm saying, oh, this stuff's real, isn't it? Because I was starting to get inklings and, like, little little signs, and I'd say, this stuff's real, isn't it? Like, And I'd just say, yeah, it's very real, And but they wouldn't push me. They just let me make my own mind up. And when God actually, when I actually received the Holy Spirit and, like I said, I, I was just, like, filled with electricity, just this warm, fuzzy feeling. My whole body was, like, I don't know, can I put it a light sort of thing, like, in, with the best feeling. I just laid on the ground for half an hour, just, like, letting it soak right up, basking in it and just, yeah, just having God saying these words to me and for the whole time just he's repeating the same words for about half an hour and, yeah, it's just like ever since then I've known and 
they named that like you know it's 100 percent real and yeah just sort of it's all a learning learning journey from there once you discover it i guess it's just a case of maintaining it but you know it's all a learning curve you don't just like get get christ and you know life's you know like it's much better but it's the relationship that you i find that you've always got to keep working at mm. you know you've got to stay close to god so to speak it's a pretty uh, interesting encounter. And when you talk about sort of the, this ministering moment, it's like, um, uh, what do you call the Salvation Army? What do you call them in Munya there? The um, officers? Majors. Majors. Oh, the majors? Yeah. yeah. Majors, yeah. So, so they're sort of just, it's, a, it's, it's one of the last alpha sessions or something like that. And there was just a moment where they were praying for you. Is that right? And then um, sort of have this encounter. Is that yeah. It was the last session, but I, I think, I guess they knew what they were doing because it was the last session, and I think they were just like, who want, you know, like, do you want to come up first, Mark? Who wants to come up? And, like, I think they knew they were going to minister, and, like, you know, I guess, well, I don't know, my only take is that they know, they, you know, know what's there, and they know how to minister the Holy Spirit, and if you know you're in the right spot, they have the power to do that, I guess. That's how I see it, but... Yeah. Yeah. What, um... Tell us then from that moment on, how, how much uh, further along in the program do you have left now? Um, I was probably three quarters through it, I suppose. I had, um, yeah, probably three months left, I guess, because it was ten months back then. So, And that's when I um, started coming to Bridgie. I went to, yeah, I went to a, um, uh, like a night with farm um, at a house, and I think it was, what they called, Bible night at someone's house with someone from Bridgie. Um, from well, someone from rehab took me to someone's house, and then I went there. Ended up coming to church here, and you know we used to come here from Bridge, um, from Munia, bring a little bus here. A few of us would come down, and just sort of it was near my local area, and it just like yeah, it just felt so right to be here. Everyone was like good, and yeah, I loved it. Huh. Yeah, kept coming. Um, you have an encounter with God, and there's all of a sudden this change that starts taking place in your life, and. Um, Tell us, maybe tell us just about, you know, some of the biggest changes for you that you experienced after encountering God. Um, I guess it'd have to be probably, you know, learning to, like, love again, I guess, is a big thing, to, like, love and be loved kind of thing. So I was always, even though I was in a relationship with Hayley, been in that for so many years, I was always kind of a closed-off person because, yeah, I just didn't really want to, you know, go too deep and all that stuff. So I guess that's like changed me internally that way to you know to have faith and and realize that you know like everyone you know there is good people there it's not to not to stay in a shutdown mode so to speak and you know I've also learned probably the biggest thing I've learned is to be a good person you've got to be around good people because I think everything that you learn in life you know you've learned off someone you know you've learned it somewhere so everything you do or everything you know you've learned off someone so I think that's why it's very important to be around the right people so you learn the right things and as I've said with you too before with um you know like my morals and values and principles and all that stuff it's just like to be around the Christian Christian faith and people that you know I, I trust and know that's good I can you know just learn and therefore I can like you know get that gift and I can like spread that gift out to other people like what I learn um your life's been impacted quite significantly it must have had an impact on your family and and Kirsty your daughter um again because you as a family none of you are like into God or anything and you're not thinking that's you know on the cards at all but then and I think we can if we can maybe cross to Kirsty but it had an impact big impact on Kirsty's life as well and um Kirsty got COVID uh, this week, and so hey, Kirsty. Yep. Hello. <laughs> uh, so she's uh, in isolation. So we thought, okay, let's try and uh, zoom Kirsty in. But Kirsty, very quickly, if you can hear me, um, 
you must have seen a change in, um, in uh, your dad's life when he sort of came to faith. That must have been pretty, was there big changes? Yeah, definitely. It was a huge change. I remember initially thinking he was joking just because um, I'd never seen that, but you couldn't really deny it. Um, the biggest change probably, um, which dad touched on as well, was that um, like the way he loved people, he was quite a closed off man um, beforehand and, you know, I never really saw him with friends and things like that. And then suddenly he's like a part of a community and um, he's openly, you know, sharing, saying I love you all the time and things like that. Um, so that was a massive change, I think, just seeing that sort of um, freedom that he carried. Yeah, that's amazing. You were pretty, I think from memory, you were pretty kind of anti-God and faith and all this as well, though. Um, what what changed for you? Like to, yeah, to, to so, a point of exploring it, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, so I just never really thought about God um, when I was a kid. And then um, through my teenage years in particular, in particular, I was very focused on academics, like maths and science were um, my favourite subjects. And in my mind, they couldn't, like science couldn't be truth and God be truth. Um, that seemed silly. So um, that was a wrestle for me um, through, yeah, coming to faith. Yeah. Um, do you feel, I think you might have mentioned this before, but do you feel like you often, um, even doing well in academics, was a, there was a sense for you like, oh, I needed to prove myself? Is that, is that right? Yeah, so much of my life in my teenage years and um, even beyond was, um, I guess, yeah, as dad had shared, like, um, he wouldn't really, I knew he loved me. I always knew he loved me, but he wouldn't say it very openly. And so um, a lot of that um, meant that I always felt the need to prove myself, to, to prove to my parents that I was worthy of love, to prove to others that I was worthy of friendship. And um, that marked my whole life. So um, a lot of my time and energy and effort was just spent about um, trying to achieve and to prove my worth. So that was done through academics. Um, I would just, you know, spend all my time studying, trying to um, reach my dreams and goals that I'd set um, in my head that would mean that I was successful or I had made it. Mm. And, a, and a person of value, I suppose. And yeah. Mm. Tell us about, then you start exploring faith and you see a change in your dad and um, tell us about that moment where you're like, okay, maybe this is real for me and maybe I should um, surrender my life to God as well. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, so I've seen the change in dad um, over a few years for me. It was probably two years after dad came to faith when I actually had an encounter with God. Um, I started to attend church occasionally and think, oh, maybe I believe this. But um, I had lots of questions, like science-based questions and things like that, that I had thought, um, yeah, I needed to know the answer to these before I would ever give my life to God. And um, there was a lot of wrestling during that period. Um, and I was also trying to live in the world. So, like I was trying to um, fit in with my other friends and things like that and do what the world says is fun and, and where life is found um, and so um, yeah I guess I was just um, 
wrestling with that and then one service I came I was at quite a, a dark place I'd started working in the mental health ward as a nurse um, and just being surrounded by a lot of that hopelessness um, I was quite exhausted um, I had tried to get into medicine I hadn't gotten into medicine that year um, so I was quite um, upset because that was where I'd pinned all my hope and, and my worth came from becoming a doctor so not getting into medicine that year meant that I um, wasn't good enough, I guess. And so um, I went to this service um, at Bridgman, um, January 6, 2019, and Pastor Nathan preached, I still remember it, and it was, um, the verse was, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Um, and I guess it was just hearing that message that I realised that I'd never um, chose to make God a priority, that I was trying so hard to achieve these things where I thought life was found, like, like in fitting in, in, um, you know, yeah, a, an occupation and money, things like that. And um, I just was exhausted and didn't still had this sense that I wasn't good enough. Um, so that night I went home and prayed a prayer um, to ask God to, yeah, be the Lord of my life <laughs> or to declare that he is Lord. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think has been the biggest changes from that moment on, that, that, that moment that you... Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of changes like externally or things that people would see um, and like some quite quickly and some have happened slowly over time. I think though the biggest thing for me is like the hope um, that like giving me purpose. Um, when your hope is in Christ and in, in the resurrected Christ, that cannot be taken away. It's not in things of this world. Like if my hope and my joy is found in um, becoming a doctor or um, a relationship or, um, you know, money, those things will all pass away. Like everything on this in this world is temporary. But when my hope is in Christ, that's eternal. Um, and so even when things do feel difficult on this world, um, in this world, there is, there's a hope there and there's um, meaning and, and purpose. Um, so that was a big thing. And then also just um, like the self-worth to know that, God, who is the creator of all things, um, actually knows and, and cares about me um, and has a plan and purpose for my life. And that, um, yeah, gave, you know, was a radical thing. Yeah, it must be an extraordinary thing when you're wrestling so much with like, oh, am I valued, then to wake up every day and go, no, I actually am valued by the creator of the universe. It's, it must be life-changing, really. Yeah. I was reading this psalm actually just earlier. Um, Psalm 8, where um, the psalmist says, um, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. And I just think, um, yeah, like I was saying, I have this wrestle with science, but like the more I um, see, you know, learn about the earth and, and, you know, creation and that, the more I can't help but just know that there is a creator, that it's not um, just some crazy miracle or, or sorry, not like a, an accident that um, everything is as it is. So to read that psalm and just to, yeah, reflect on, like, you look at the stars, you look at the moon, like, you see all the creation that God has made um, and yet he still cares for us is just overwhelming yeah. to reflect on. 
Well, it's pretty amazing. Both uh, your stories and the way that God's changed your lives is amazing. And Mark, coming to faith and the impact it's having on your kids and um, Haley and the whole family, it's just awesome. Such an amazing journey. So thank you both for just sharing. Uh, incredible. Uh, why don't we thank them? That'd be great. Just as we wrap up, actually, I'm just going to ask the band to come back up and we're just going to sing a song together to wrap up. But I just want to read this one uh, scripture to you that was so influential in me coming to faith as well. And I just realised that tonight you come and maybe you're here, you don't even know why you're here, or maybe someone brought you along, or maybe you were just watching online, someone sent you a link, or maybe just stumbled across it, I don't know. Um, but maybe you two are in a place like Mark and Kirsty, and even for myself, actually, a place of like, how could you you know, possibly believe this stuff. Are you not sure about God and faith and all these sorts of things? Uh, but this scripture was really influential in me when I realized actually maybe there is a God, maybe there's um, some truth to this. Maybe my life could also experience a transformation that I so desperately needed as well. And it says in Matthew um, 7, verses 7 and 8, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And uh, actually, it just makes me a bit emotional as I think about that, because I, uh, I realised in my life, I too was like Kirsty, absolutely hopelessness, no purpose to my life, no meaning. And I knew that uh, once I uh, died, there was nothing for me. Um, but when I decided, like Mark did, and like Kirsty did decide, actually, maybe there's... Maybe there's something in this. Maybe it could be worthwhile just uh, exploring this a little bit further. Um, I too, as we've heard tonight through Mark and Kirsty, encountered a God who loves me and has a plan and purpose for my life. The greatest decision I ever made was to explore that. And that piece of Scripture is truth. That piece of Scripture is truth because it says, ask and, uh, you know, it, it says, like, seek me, basically, seek me and you will find me. And I, I discovered that. And that was true for me. And so I just want to say, maybe you're just exploring tonight. Maybe you're online, you're just watching. I really want to encourage you. Um, I'm convinced, as my mate said to me, I'm convinced if you're genuine about it and if you want to know if God's real, He will not let you down. He will not let you down. It may be for you that you join with us over this little series at night. You come back next Sunday night and you go, okay, I want to explore some of these topics. It may be that you join in one of the connect groups, whatever it might be. Uh, but exploring a little bit further. And I know He's a faithful God, a faithful God. He won't let you down. Uh, Father God, I just thank You so much for what we've heard tonight. Mark's story, Kirsty's story, the way that You renovate, change and transform people's lives, great God, is extraordinary. I'm just conscious though, there may be some here tonight that have already heard a little bit about You. There may be some here tonight that actually grown up in it. They know the truth of the reality of you, but they've turned their back on you. And I don't know, but maybe tonight as you're here, like Kirsty did in that service, it was like a scripture that stood out. It was like this sense that she needed to respond. Maybe you too, tonight or in here in the building or online, you just feel this sense of like, okay, God, I think I need to surrender to you. I just want to give you an opportunity. It's really not between me or anyone else in this building. It's really between you and God. And if that's you tonight, just just want to invite you to pray with me just in your head and in your heart, a simple prayer, but a prayer to say, God, I'm in. You just pray this, dear God, 
Thank You that You love me. Thank You for dying on the cross for me. Thank You for rising again, overcoming death. I just want You to be Lord of my life and I want to surrender to You. Come and fill me with Your Spirit now. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Father God, thank You for those that responded tonight, but I just thank You for the way that You knock on the doors of our heart and uh, You pursue us, You love us. And uh, I just thank You, Father God, for the opportunity we've had tonight just to explore further as well. And I, I just pray, continue to pray that You'd use Mark, You'd use Kirsty, that You'd use our lives, great God, to share this, I'm convinced, is the greatest message in the whole world, great God. So I thank You, Lord. We wanna worship and praise You now because You're so worthy. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' mighty and precious Name. Amen, amen. I'm just gonna invite you just to jump up on your feet. We're gonna sing this uh, last song together as we honour and praise Him. Addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Your name is power Your name is healing Your name is love
Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Father God, we thank You again. Thank You for an awesome night just to honour and praise You and to hear firsthand just of the transforming work that You can do in and through any person's life, great God. Uh, You're amazing, absolutely amazing, Lord. We honour and praise You tonight. In Jesus' mighty and precious Name, Amen. Amen. Again, just so good to have you here tonight. Great to have you online also. And uh, feel free, actually, if you'd like prayer or anything like that, we'd love to pray for you afterwards. Uh, But feel free to catch up, hang around, uh, head out to our courtyard area. God bless you. Have an awesome week and we'll see you soon.